It's a privilege to introduce our scripture reader this morning, Cicely Wadsworth. Uh, Cicely's married to Brian, one of our deacons. Uh, they have two children, Ashton and Britton, ages 11 and 7. And Ashton is one of our cameramen this morning. We've got 11-year-olds running the camera, so let's wave at Ashton. Not sure which one he is. He's one of those. Uh, glad to have her reading the scriptures. Every week when we introduce our scripture reader, we like to talk about our three movements, our three passions of worshiping, belonging, and serving. And so uh, Cicely's been worshiping at Bible Center since she was born, and her and her husband belong, have belonged in an ABF and a community group, and they serve in a host of ways around the church. Uh, so let's grab our Bibles or our Bible apps and dive in the Word together. Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized me with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever tried talking to someone, but you weren't sure if they were listening? Some of you call that parenthood, raising children, raising teenagers. Somebody, maybe a wife, just elbowed your husband. Uh, there's a lot of different people and relationship dynamics at play. When we talk to someone, we like to know that we're heard. I remember shortly after we were married, maybe a few months into our marriage, we were in college, in Bible college, and I was studying, uh, taking Greek class, my second year of Greek, and I had to parse the book of 1 John uh, in Greek. And so on top of a 40-hour week at a machine shop uh, and trying to take a full load of college and trying to be a husband, needless to say, I was often very tired at night. 
My young wife, I remember uh, 17 years ago, asks me, uh, honey, I really need to talk. I really need to talk. Well, my homework was done. I had clocked out. I was ready to go to bed and get up early and start all over again. And she said, sweetie, I really need to talk this evening. And I was trying. Guys, I want you to know, you know what I'm talking about. I really was trying. It didn't look like I was trying, but I really was trying to listen. And I fell asleep while she was talking to me. But it was in that state between kind of asleep and kind of awake. You ever been there where you can hear what's going on, but you're just not quite present? And I was thinking about the Greek and thinking about parsing the book of First John, nouns and verbs and so on. And finally, I, I blurted out to her. I just looked at her, and I'm trying to get words out. And I said, what part of speech are you? She said, I'm not a part of speech. I'm your wife. And I learned a valuable lesson as a young husband, how important it is to know uh, that you are being heard and the people who love you are being heard. Whenever we pray, we like to know God hears our prayers. But what assurance do we have that he does hear us? How do we know that our prayers get beyond the ceiling? Uh, that's what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. I invite you to follow along in your notes if you have your bulletin outline, or you can follow along in your app uh, either way that works best for you. What does the ascension teach us about prayer? What can we learn about prayer from Jesus ascending back into heaven? Well, number one, we learn that God is no longer here physically. God is no longer here physically. The book of Acts is the second part. It's the second uh, volume of Luke's works. Uh, Luke wrote, we know the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts is a continuation uh, of his first book. Luke was Paul's companion as the apostle Paul traveled around the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. Dr. Luke, a physician, uh, was with Paul, learned from Paul, and wrote these two books that are the largest in our New Testament. In verse number one, Luke says that in the first book, he said he tried to deal with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So we can infer that if the gospel of Luke was about what Jesus did and taught, then the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach through the early church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in a few short verses, Luke gives us a description of what happened after Jesus arose from the grave. For about 40 days, Jesus interacted with his disciples. He inter interacted with hundreds, possibly even thousands of people for those 40 days. Now, if you've been in church for a while or you've seen church commercials or church lingo, you know there's something that churches, some kind of attention that churches have for the number 40, 40 days of purpose. Uh, here, Jesus interacted for 40 days. Why is that? Well, we know the number 40 is significant in the Bible. In the Old Testament, when God destroyed the earth with water, he caused it to rain 40 days and 40 nights. After Moses killed the Egyptian, he fled to the desert where he spent 40 years. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. The law specified the number 40 as the maximum number of lashes a man could receive for a crime. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 
Before Samson's deliverance, Israel served the Philistines 40 years. I didn't know this till this week, but Goliath taunted Saul's army for 40 days before David rose to slay him. When Elijah fled from Jezebel, he traveled 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And now Jesus remains on the earth, interacting for 40 days. Nothing that Jesus did was accidental. He had a purpose for everything that he did. And so it's almost as if that by hanging around for 40 days, Jesus is declaring that he fulfilled a greater judgment than the flood when he died on the cross. He's a better leader than Moses, a better priest than Moses. It's as if Jesus is saying, I took your 40 lashings for you when I died on the cross. I obeyed the law perfectly because Israel could not. I did what Samson was too weak to do. I am greater than David, and I defeated an enemy greater than Goliath. I'm the fulfillment of Elijah's prophecies. I conquered death, hell, and the grave. By staying around for 40 days, Jesus declared, It is finished. What kind of things did Jesus teach for 40 days? Just imagine sitting in his classes, traveling with him as he teaches the the 12 disciples and hundreds and thousands of other people. What kind of things did Jesus teach, though, after he rose from the grave? Well, we don't have to wonder too much because we have the New Testament. And the New Testament predominantly was written by men who traveled with Jesus, who saw Jesus after he rose from the grave or they were mentored by somebody who did. And so here are the teachings of the ascended Christ still available to us in the Bible today. In verse 9, something amazing happens. It's as if Luke just writes quickly. He's like the, the gospel writer Mark. He flies through eight verses. The 40 days are over. And then in verse 9, Luke says that Jesus ascended back into heaven. This can be a troubling concept for any Christian, but especially for children. You ever tried to explain to a child where Jesus is? Reminds me of the story I heard about two boys who were close in age, but they were mischievous. And the parents had prayed for them. The parents tried to take them to church. Anytime there was trouble in church, they knew their boys were at the center of it, for that matter, in town or at school. And so they called the children's pastor to come over and visit with their boys. You know, if you're a parent, you, you have those visits with the principal or a visit with the pastor. And so they decided to meet with him one at a time. They brought their first son in and set him in front of the pastor. And the pastor really wanted to put the fear of the Lord in him to help him realize that God is everywhere. And so the children's pastor, much like Pastor Thompson would do, looks across the couch and he says, Where is God? The little boy didn't say anything, but he sat up in his seat. A few seconds later, the the children's pastor looked at him again a little louder, and he says, where is God? Still nothing. And finally, the third time, the children's pastor, with all of his firmness, looks at the little boy and says, where is God? And the little boy jumps up and runs to his room and locks himself in the closet. His other brother comes and knocks on the door, scared to death, and he says, what happened? What's going on? And he says, boy, we're in trouble now. God's missing, and they think we did it. (laughs) A true version of that 
one of our pastors, I'll not mention him by name, but he's one of our worship pastors, and he has three sons. So you can figure out which story I'm going to tell. He told me this past week that uh, his youngest, his little four-year-old, just turned four, is sitting at the dinner table, and they're all praying, and the four-year-old started shaking his head and said he didn't want to pray. I'm not going to pray. And so he said, called him by name, Liam, why don't you want to pray? And he said, I can't see Jesus. I don't know where Jesus is, so I'm not going to pray to Jesus. And his two older brothers, you know, some of you, many of you know his two older brothers, they have different personalities. One of them is very prophetic. He's going to be an evangelist or a prophet. And he, he looks at his younger brother and he says, Liam, you better pray to Jesus so you don't go to hell. And the other brother just gets passionate and starts crying and says, oh, Liam, please, you need to pray to Jesus. He's alive. It can be confusing for kids, but it can also be confusing for us. Where is Jesus now? He arose from the grave, but the Bible says he ascended back into heaven. The ascension is crucial to our faith. It explains where Jesus is now, seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. We don't talk much about the ascension. In 16 years of ministry, I've only preached two sermons on the ascension, and the first one was last April right here. But it's intrigued me this week reading about the doctrine of the ascension. Seemingly, it was the favorite doctrine of the early church. The most quoted verse or most quoted passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament is Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is a prophecy not only about the resurrection, but also about the ascension of the Messiah back into heaven where he'll be glorified. Those of you who've flown in and out of Jaeger Airport know what it's like to fly into the clouds, be beneath the clouds, and you go into the clouds, and then you're above the clouds. As we look at Acts 1, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but Acts 1 gives us the picture from beneath the clouds, but there's a passage in the Old Testament where God gives us a glimpse of what it looked like above the clouds, and it's in Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it doesn't necessarily mean that heaven is a straight shot above Palestine. It definitely doesn't mean that heaven is a straight shot above the United States. We as Americans like to think that, don't we? Like everything is you know, about us, the heavens right above us. But what if you live in Antarctica? 
What if you live in Australia? You know, where is heaven? This, this language about Jesus ascending, we'll look at more in a moment. But we find that Jesus went into heaven, passed into the heaven to be a high priest for us. Pastor Chad preached a wonderful message on the ascension or on Jesus being a high priest here a few weeks ago. I encourage you to check it out. But one of the realities of Jesus going into heaven is similar to the way you might have an advocate in Washington, D.C. I know some of you are even, uh, you work at our capital here in West Virginia, and you know what it's like to have an advocate or a lobbyist. We all like to have advocates. We like to know that we have our man in the state house. We like to have our man down at the DMV. You go to get your car inspected. What do we say here? Well, hey, I got a guy. I got a guy. You know, you got a car, your muffler's falling off, you're running on three wheels, but you got a guy that'll put an inspection sticker on it without asking any questions. Hey, you got to go see my guy. Uh, I got a guy like that. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but uh, yeah, it's good to have a guy in your corner. And the ascension, the doctrine, and the truth that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back into heaven teaches us that although God is no longer physically here, we now have a man in heaven, an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the ascension teaches us, first of all, God is no longer here physically, but there's something else the ascension teaches us that relates to prayer. And that's number two, God is very much here spiritually. God is very much here spiritually. I invite you to look with me at verses four through eight. Jesus is going to explain how his ascension connects us to a greater prayer life. In verse four, he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with whom? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses, my witnesses, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts or the ends of the earth. Number two, God is very much here spiritually. Now let's talk and be transparent for a moment. The ascension to me at first seems like a really bad strategy. How many times have some of us talked with people where they said, I want proof that Jesus existed? And I'm thinking in those conversations, boy, it would be great if Jesus had just stayed here and lived in Palestine, lived in Israel. Jesus you know, had a house. We could go to him. Scientists could study him and discover that he's 2,000 years old. It would be great if Jesus had stayed. But that wasn't his strategy. In the verses we just read, we discover that his strategy was to ascend back into heaven and leave his spirit to live in his people. This was promised thousands of years ago. 
by the prophets. We see it in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If you're taking notes, you want to write down this statement. It's not original with me, but it's been used so much, we don't know who initially said it. The ascension does not mean God is no longer here. It means, is, it means God is here all over. I'll repeat that. The ascension does not mean God is no longer here. It means that God is here all over. Because of the ascension... Christianity is not limited just to where Jesus is. Because Jesus ascended into heaven and sent his spirit, that spirit right now can be leading Ahmad Shahadi in Jordan. That spirit can be leading the lanes in Guadalajara, Mexico. That spirit can be leading Dr. and Mrs. Michael Gale in Togo, West Africa. That spirit can be leading the people that serve in their hospital. The spirit of God is at work in Ukraine. The spirit of God is at work in Russia or Afghanistan. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, he's not limited to physical presence. Jesus left us his spirit. Even Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, how are we to think about Jesus in heaven? How are we to think about where heaven is? If heaven is not like it says in Peter Pan, second star on the right and straight on till morning, where is heaven? I love what C.S. Lewis wrote about heaven. He says, we don't know exactly where Jesus is, but we do know he's never far away. Think of it like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. Remember they would go and build the tabernacle in the middle of the desert. They'd set up the tabernacle. God would come into the Holy of Holies and meet with them there. It didn't mean that they stepped into the Holy of Holies and like on Star Trek, they were teleported uh, to another dimension. But somehow God met with them in reality on earth. Think of it like Genesis 28 when Jacob saw the ladder, the portal connecting heaven and earth. It doesn't mean that heaven was somewhere out in outer space, but it connected the dimension of heaven with the dimension of earth. In John chapter 1 and verse 51, Jesus said the angels can step to and from the heavenly realm. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned. He's being killed for his faith. And remember, just before Stephen dies, Acts chapter 7 says he looks up and he sees Jesus. He's not standing, not sitting, but he's standing. It doesn't mean that Stephen was somehow given insight to be able to see light years away into whatever galaxy heaven exists, but it means that Stephen was able with human eyes to see spiritual things. If we could only look through life 
like the prophets look through life. Remember the time when Isaiah was with Hezekiah? Hezekiah was struggling to understand what God was doing. And Hezekiah prayed and said, Lord, give him sight like you have. And, and the king was able to see the chariots and the angels and the spiritual warfare around them. For too long, we have treated God and heaven and Jesus like it's somewhere over the rainbow. Jesus is here. And because he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, somehow his presence is never more than just a prayer away. Think about what presence means. You know, I'm learning. I'm still learning how important presence is in life. When my wife and I first got married, we were dating. I would bring, don't lie to this, I'd bring a note card. Eventually I got a Palm Pilot, but they didn't have Palm Pilots when we started dating, so I had a note card. And I'd write down a whole list of things I wanted to talk to her about. Because I didn't want the conversation to go dead, right? You know, pastors are always talking more than they should. And, and so I would, you know, I'd kind of like look at, I remember one day she saw me look at my card as I pulled it out of my pocket. What is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a card, so I know what to say to you and what questions to ask. I know that's so weird. I don't do it when I come to your house, I promise. But... We would sit, I remember like at restaurants, and we would see older couples sitting across from each other, and they're just eating, and they're not talking. And when we were first married, we were like, that is so strange. Why aren't they talking? Why doesn't that guy have a note card in his pocket, right? And I get it. We always need to be working in our marriage and talking, but I've learned something from some of you in the last year of being here, that the longer you're together with someone you love... Words don't mean as much as presence. And yes, we have the word of God. And yes, we have the great doctrines of the faith. But what I want to do this morning is encourage your heart. There is nothing that will encourage you in your prayer life more than believing that you live in the presence of God. You might feel like Jesus is a million miles away, but he is right there with you. And in order to muster up a prayer life and talk to God more faithfully, getting at lists and stopwatches and setting goals means nothing compared to just believing he goes with you every minute of the day. God is with you. Last Getting real transparent now. After last week, we had such a great Easter. Depending on what number you look at, it's one of the third highest attendances. Uh, unduplicated, Lee tells me. Unduplicated attendances because there was no ABFs and community groups last week in Bible Center history. We had to bring in chairs. It was great. But I went to bed Monday night on a spiritual. I was so excited. It's like, yes, there's momentum building at Bible Center. I love this. We had an email, a couple emails, folks who say they prayed to receive Christ. Man, that's exciting. I get up on Monday, and I've heard about this, like the Preacher Monday. I never really have the Preacher Monday problem. But after Easter Sunday last week, I had that Preacher Monday problem. I was like, is there hope anywhere in the world? <laughs> Tired, just exhausted spiritually. 
I used to laugh at pastors who said they got tired preaching. I'm like, man, I work 12 hours a day at a machine shop. Don't tell me about how hard this is. But still, Monday I woke up thinking, man, why am I so just spiritually drained? And I got out a book I want to recommend to you. I haven't picked it up in probably 10 years. It's Abide in Christ. This is the new cover. If you're spiritually dry right now, could I encourage you to pick up this book and let it minister to your soul? This is what I'm doing right now for part of my devotions. There's 31 chapters, and every chapter is a reminder that God is with you. It is blessing my heart, and I'd love to recommend it to you this week. God is very much here spiritually. But finally, in number three, what is his invitation to us? How does this apply to us? Number three, we can bring him our burdens prayerfully. We can bring him our burdens prayerfully. Notice verse 12 with me of Acts 1. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room. We don't know if that's exactly the same room where Jesus had the Last Supper, but there's no reason Luke would have called it the upper room if he wasn't trying to get our attention. So this is probably the same place where Jesus had led in the Last Supper. So after he's ascended back into heaven, they went back to the upper room, and 11 of the 12 disciples, he lists 11 of them here. You know why there's not 12. Judas is already moving out of the picture. And in verse 14 says, And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The early church understood that there's nothing better than seeing Jesus face to face. But if you can't see Jesus face to face, there's nothing better than prayer. And God is encouraging Bible Center Church and calling us to a revival of prayer. I get it. We have a long way to go when it comes to our prayer lives, even as a church. But I pray that God would use this text to call us as a church back to remembering. Apart from seeing Jesus face to face, there is nothing better than prayer. What's the main encouragement this morning? It's simply this. Jesus cares and wants to hear my prayers. Jesus cares and wants to hear my prayers. I was reminded of how much the Father wants to answer our prayer and take care of us by something that happened yesterday. Uh, my wife is in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend. She's helping one of our friends pack up their house. Their family's getting ready to uh, sell their house and move. They're actually moving to Charleston. We're excited for this family. So she spent several days there just helping them. She's still there, coming back later this evening. And so uh, Riley wanted to go with her, our youngest, but I was able to hang out with our 14-year-old this weekend. And I'm learning what a joy that is, just a different dynamic now that she's getting older. But uh, we spent Friday evening together, went to a movie, went and saw Kong, Pretty good movie. I'd never seen that. That was a good movie. And, and then we spent Saturday morning together. We had breakfast. And I thought, you know, I've really got to finish up my message. I've got some work I need to do. So why don't, Katie, you invite uh, you know, a friend over and hang out and spend the night while Daddy's doing his work. And oh, Excuse me, while Dad, not Daddy, sorry. While Dad does his work. And, and so she did. And, and on the way home from picking her up, this is Pastor Matt Garrison's daughter, Sydney. And the way from picking her up, 
we stopped by a Kroger, and I'm going to be like dad of the year, right? I said, honey, here's my debit card. I said, sweetie, run into Kroger, pick up your favorite snack, and I'll just stay out here in the car. Now, when I dropped them off, I was listening to NPR. It was a great story. NPR is awesome for a few of us. I was listening to this story and dropped her off. She, she gets out, and she comes back to, to the car like 25 minutes later, and they've got a multiple bags. And I look, it's like, wow, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot of stuff. I remembered I forgot to give her a limit. And so I asked the question. I said, sweetheart, how much did you spend? And she goes, oh, Dad, I just spent like, uh, like 30 bucks. But, but Sydney only spent 17. And I, only, I knew I'd only given one debit card, right? So I said, oh, Sydney, you didn't have to pay for your own food, honey. I said, you're here on our, our guest. And she said, oh, no, I didn't use my money. Katie gave me your debit card. <laughs> you know, what causes a kid to do that? <laughs> I've learned a few lessons. One, $10 limit next time. But two, what a great illustration. It's worth $47 for this illustration. As a father, she loved me so much and knew I loved her. It never crossed her mind. But to walk in on my authority, to walk in with my resources, to walk in thinking she had my full permission to get whatever she wanted, whatever she needed. And she walked out confidently because that's just what kids do. My prayer for you this morning is that you would sense the call of the Holy Spirit to walk into prayer confidently because you have his authority. You have his resources. You have his permission. He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you could call on the name of the Lord today for salvation. Hey, maybe you're discouraged. There's somebody here. You've got to make a big decision this week at work. And you came in this morning with that heavy on your heart. Let me encourage you, call on the name of the Lord in prayer. There's somebody here and you're struggling in your marriage. Intimacy is gone. Fighting it seems like a, an everyday event. And you're wondering if there's any hope. Call on the name of the Lord in prayer. Jesus cares and he wants to hear your prayers. You're finishing up college it's about graduation season. You're looking out at the world wondering, what in the world am I going to do? Jesus cares and he wants to hear your prayers. You're finishing high school and you're thinking college and job and life. Let him hear your prayers because he cares. Jesus is no longer with us physically, at least not yet. But he's very much with us spiritually. And he invites us to bring our burdens prayerfully. I can think of no better way to end our time together this morning than asking our missionaries, Michael and Cheryl Gale, to join me uh, here at the front. We've asked them to share a little bit about their ministry and a story that they have learned how God answers amazing prayer. They've been in Togo, West Africa for decades. Will you join me in welcoming uh, Michael and Cheryl Gale to the platform? Good to be here with y'all. I'd like to just give you a story about amazing answer to prayer. It was about uh, six, seven years ago, I was taking care of a baby uh, who was very ill with cerebral malaria and uh, had been having seizures and was getting pulmonary 
fluid on the lung, that type thing. And the child was getting worse and worse and worse. And we had uh, been doing CPR from time to time as the heart would stop. And this child was just getting worse. And it was gradually starting to have more problems breathing. And again, we're in a resource limited country. And uh, there's not a lot of things we can do. And we turn things over to God immediately, uh, even before we start taking care of our uh, people. But uh, we were there at that point, and I thought I was watching the child have its final breath. And that's heart-wrenching for anyone who uh, would look on. And every time, about every 30 seconds, the child would take a, re uh, a very distressed breath. And so I said, God, this is up to you. Uh, I'm ready for this child to die, if that be your will. And all of a sudden, the child started uh, breathing uh, more rapid and that type of thing. And uh, we were just lifting our prayers up to God, said he is in your hands, as, he's, as every patient is, and uh, we leave it to you. And this child got better. Uh, the next morning, the child was uh, waking up, and within about three or four uh, days later, the child was going home with some happy parents. And it was only by the grace of God that things like that happened. One thing very exciting about medical missions is that there's always stories like that almost every single day because we do not have the resources that you all have here in the States. So we're like the last ditch effort. And so much, much prayer goes into our patient care and our work. But the most important thing we have found is it's not our will, it's the Lord's will in just turning it over to him. Right now, just a quick update. We're home on a small furlough and we're enjoying meeting all of our ministry partners. And when we return back to Togo, um, we'll continue in medical missions, Michael at the hospital and the clinic. And I work in the Christian Resource Center in helping with the guest house ministries. Even though I'm an RN, this is where they need me right now. We're also going to be um, working on a huge expansion project. And so be praying for that too, as we continue to do his will in Togo. Because again, we use medical missions as a doorway to meet people's physical needs and thereby gain their trust that we can share with them the best medicine of all, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the hospital exists. And so we thank you for that. But we want to, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to give a special thank you for Bible Center Church, for all you have done with us. We've been partnering with you all since 2002. And that has been just a huge blessing. You've helped us so much prayerfully, financially. You've been sending teams out there too, medical teams. And we've got two medical teams from Bible Center Church coming out there in September. They're going to tag team one another. Uh, and that's a real blessing. So we want to thank you for that. And with that, let's end in prayer. And gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity <clears throat> to be used of you wherever we are. As Christians, we're all considered disciples of Christ. We're all considered to be missionaries. And because of that, we are missionary wherever we are, whether it be in Togo, whether it be in China, whether it be here in Charleston, West Virginia. It might be in our neighborhood. It might be in our own family. And so we just uh, pray for your uh, encouragement through the Holy Spirit to be good witnesses, to show compassion, 
to live out a testimony that brings honor and glory to your name and share the gospel in any way we can to bring honor and glory to your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.